as we continue to worship our God, will you open your Bibles as we'll be continuing our sermon series looking at Zechariah chapter 9 to chapter 11 as we continue on looking at the minor prophets together. So open your Bibles to chapter 9 uh, of Zechariah and we'll be reading from chapter 9 all the way to chapter 11. The oracle of the word of the Lord is against the land of Hadrach. And Damascus is its resting place. For the Lord has an eye on mankind and on all the tribes of Israel and on Hamath also, which borders on it and Tyr and Sidon, though they are very wise. Tyr has built herself a rampart and heaped up silver like dust and fine gold like the mud of the streets. But behold, the Lord will strip her of all her possessions and strike down her power on the sea, and she shall be devoured by fire. Eshkelon shall see it and be afraid. Gaza too, and shall wreathe in anguish. Ekron also, because its hopes are confounded. The king shall perish from Gaza. Eshkelon shall be uninhabited. A mixed people shall dwell in Ashdod. And I will cut off the pride of Philistia. I will take away its blood from its mouth and its admonitions from between its teeth. It too shall be a remnant for our God. It shall be like a clan in Judah. And Ekron shall be like the Jebusites. Then I will encamp at my house as a guard so that none shall march to and fro. No oppressor shall again march over them, for I now, for now I see with my own eyes. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the war horse from Jerusalem, and the battle bow shall be cut off, and he shall speak peace to the nations, he, his rule shall be from sea to sea and from the river to the end of the earth. As for you also, because of the blood of my covenant with you, I will set your prisoners free from the waterless pit. Return to your, your stronghold, O prisoners of hope. Today I declare that I will restore to you double, for I have been Judah as my bow, and I have made Ephraim its arrow. I will stir up your sons, O Zion, against your sons, O Greece, and wield you like a warrior sword. Then the Lord will appear over them, and his arrows will go forth like lightning. The Lord God will sound the trumpet and will march forth in the whirlwinds of the south. The Lord of hosts will protect them, and they shall devour and tread down the sling stones, and they shall drink and roar as if drunk with wine and be full like a bowl, drenched like the corners of the altar." Now that day that the Lord their God will save them as a flock, <clears throat> sorry, as the flock of his people. For like the jewels of a crown, they shall shine on his head. How, for how great is his goodness and how great his beauty. Grain shall make the young men flourish and new wine the young women. In chapter 10, ask grain 
from the Lord in the season of the spring rain, from the Lord who makes the storm clouds, and he will give them showers of rain to everyone, the vegetation and the fields. For the household gods utter nonsense, and diviners see lies. They tell false dreams and give empty consolations. Therefore the people wander like sheep, and they are afflicted for lack of a shepherd. My anger is hot against the shepherds, and I will punish the leaders. For the Lord of hosts cares for his flock, the house of Judah, and will make them like his majestic steed in battle. From him shall come the cornerstone, from him a tent peg, from him the battle bow, from him every ruler, all of them together. They shall be like mighty men in battle, trampling the foe in the mud of the streets. They shall fight because the Lord is with them, and they shall put to shame the riders on horses. In verse 6, I will strengthen the house of Judah, and I will save the house of Joseph. I will bring them back because I have compassion on them, and they shall be as though I had not rejected them. For I am the Lord their God, and I will answer them. Then Ephraim shall become like a mighty warrior, and their hearts shall be glad as with wine. Their children shall see it and be glad. Their hearts shall rejoice in the Lord. I will whistle for them and gather them in, for I have redeemed them. And they shall be as many as they were before, though I scattered them among the nations. Yet in far countries they shall remember me, and with their children they shall live and return. I will bring them home from the land of Egypt and gather them from Assyria. And I will bring them to the land of Galilee and Lebanon till there is no room for them. In verse 11, he shall pass through the sea of troubles and strike down the waves of the sea and all the depths of the Nile shall be dried up. The pride of Assyria shall be laid low and the scepter of Egypt shall depart. And I will make them strong in the Lord. And they shall walk in his name, declares the Lord. In verse 11, open your doors, O Lebanon, that the fire may devour your cedars. Wail, O Cyprus, for the cedar has fallen. Wail, oaks of Bashan, for the thick forest has been filled. The sound of the wail of the shepherds, for their glory is ruined. The sound of the roar of the lions, for the thicket of the, of the Jordan is ruined. In verse 4 of chapter 11, Thus says the Lord my God, Become shepherds of the flock doomed to slaughter. Those who buy them slaughter them and go unpunished. And those who see them say, Blessed be the Lord, I have become rich. And their own shepherds have no pity on them. For I will no longer have pity on the inhabitants of this land, declares the Lord, because I will cause each of them to fall into the hand of his neighbor and each into the hand of his king, and they shall crush the land, and I will deliver none from their hand. So I became the shepherd of the flock, doomed to be slaughtered by the sheep traders. I took two shafts, one I named Favor and the other named Union. 
and I tended the sheep. In one month, I destroyed three shepherds, but I became impatient with them, and they also detested me. So I said, I will not be your shepherd. What is to die? Let it die. What is to be destroyed? Let it be destroyed. And let those who are left devour the flesh of one another. And I took my staff favor and I broke it, annulling the covenant that I had made with all the peoples. So it was annulled on that day. And the sheep traders who were watching with me knew that it was the word of the Lord. In verse 12, then I said to them, If it seems good to you, give me my wage, but if not, keep them. And they weighed out as my wages 30 pieces of silver. Then the Lord said to me, throw it into the potter. The the lordly price at which I was priced by them. So I took the 30 pieces of silver and I threw them into the house of the Lord to the potter. Then I broke my second staff union, annulling the brotherhood between Judah and Israel. Then the Lord said to me, take one more, the equipment of a foolish shepherd, once more the equipment of the foolish shepherd. For behold, I am raising up in the land a shepherd who does not care for those being destroyed or seek the young or heal the the maimed or nourish the healthy, but devours the flesh of the fat ones, tearing off even their hooves. Woe to you, worthless shepherds who desire the flock. May the sword strike his arm and his right eye. Let his arm be wholly withered his right eye utterly blinded. And this is the word of the Lord. As we're looking through this, we'll be looking at three points. The first point is this, is that the shepherd king returns to Jerusalem. And we see this amazing uh, story, this amazing picture that Zechariah is painting for us in chapter 9. And we see three parts that are being restored as we look into chapter 9. First, we see in verses 1 to 8 that the land is being restored as God gives this oracle to his people. Another word for this is burden. This is a reminder right off the bat in verse 1 that this is indeed the word of the Lord. And these are things that we also need to listen to. And as we see God working through, as we see this this shepherd king returning to Jerusalem, he begins to go from the north and he moves to the south as he begins to conquer cities. He begins to show them who they are. These cities and nations are wrong to be at rest because God is going to judge them. The cities are moving from north to south and God will, will come to judge the people who are the enemies of his own people. They may have resources, as we see in in verse 3, with Tyre being built up as a rampart, heaping up silver and gold, like dust in the mud of the streets. They may be resource-rich, but that won't stop the Lord of hosts from coming to judge these people. And he does that. And he devours them by fire, as we see in verse 4. And we see the outcome in verse 5 of these nations being scared of what they see and how their hopes are being dashed. And in verse 6, it says, A mixed people shall dwell in Ashdod. The, The destruction will be so bad that there is not a national identity at all. 
There's not enough people to identify as a nation. And God will cut off the pride of these people. But then verse 7 comes along here, which is interesting to me. It says this, I will take away its blood from its mouth. See, God comes and he, he takes the signs of uncleanliness and he makes them clean. God himself makes them clean. Because he says later on in that verse, it too shall be a remnant for our God. See, judgment, this is amazing. Judgment is not the final word that we see here. See, what's really cool about this is that even these people will be brought into God's people. They will be, uh, they will be uh, grafted in to God's people. They will be counted as a remnant. Look back all the way to a couple weeks ago when we were in chapter 8 in verses 22 to 23. The judging of the nations brings the turning of their eyes from their idols to the Lord of hosts. You know, I, I, I keep thinking about how many people, even in the church, are so confounded and, and worried about what is happening around them. You know what I see? I see God using this worldwide pandemic to turn the eyes of the people from their idols to him. What an amazing thing. God is, is judging and saving nations. God isn't just judgment. God isn't just, just judgment. Yes, he is holy. And to defame his name has to be judged with as much equal ferocity as he is holy. But he is a saving God who saves those who are completely undeserving. Our God is full of grace and mercy, giving what we don't deserve and not giving what we do deserve. And as we see, as, as God moves, as the shepherd king moves through the north and down to the south, he gets to Jerusalem and he says, and I will encamp at my house as a guard. Not only will God deal with the enemies of his people, but he will make sure that this never happens again. You know, the Apostle Paul says in Romans 8, in verses 38 to 39, he says this, For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor heights, nor depths, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God. See, God was so ready and determined for our salvation that he sent his own son to bear the, the sins, our sins on the cross. That's why Paul can say what he can say in verse 35, a few verses before that, in the same chapter, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? And in verses 38 and 39, he gives that answer. There is absolutely nothing. Is there a city that can stand against God? Is there walls that can keep him out? Is there a sea that can hold him back? And the answer is no. His house is secure because he stands guard over his people. So let me ask you this question. During this time of uncertainty, where will you take your stand? In whose hands will you give the safekeeping of your soul? See, I love Psalm 32, verse 12, and how they put it, and how the songwriter says, 
Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people whom he has chosen as his heritage. And even in Proverbs 16, verse 20, it says, Whoever gives thought to the word will discover good, and blessed is he who trusts in the Lord. So we see how God begins to restore the land. But as he restores the land, we see in verses 9 to 13 how, how the king is, is being restored. In verse 9, it says, Behold your king, the Davidic king promised from of old. He is now here. All of those prophecies are being fulfilled in Jesus' entry that we see in Matthew chapter 21, in verses 1 to 11, and even in John 12. And in his final reign that we see in verse 10, he will be righteous. Unlike all of the other deadbeat kings, he will be righteous and he will care for his people. He will be different from all the other kings. To the point that in verse 10, the chariot and the war horse, these are the tools of war. They will be no more. God will take them away. This will be a time of peace. And his rule to the end of the earth, it is a universal sovereign rule of a God. It is foundational. It is through Jesus that this universal dominion even comes. And as we continue on, the blood of my covenant, God provides a covenant, a promise that covers the sin. In all of this, we see an act of God to save a people for himself. And nothing can stop him. See, God's salvation is comprehensive. God's people were defenseless sheep, but he was their shepherd caring for them. In this short few verses, we are being shown that the peace of God can only come when we have peace with God. Sin makes us enemies. There is no peace with God because of our sin, and it puts us under condemnation and leads us to a war against our God. The only way we can have peace is to be brought into a right relationship with him. And this is only done through the blood of a covenant, which is the precious blood of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It is only through this blood that we can have peace with God. If you have never come to God through faith in Jesus Christ, in his gift of forgiveness and righteousness from God, then you have no peace with God. Your sins stands between you and God. They testify still to your enmity to God and his wrath against you. You must do what the prophet commands if you would be saved. If you would have peace, look to him. Look to the shepherd king. Behold this king who comes righteous and bringing salvation. The apostle Paul explains it in, in Colossians 1. He made peace through his blood shed on the cross. Look to him. Receive him in faith and you will be saved. But as God, as, as the shepherd king begins to restore, he also restores his people, as we see in verses 14 on to 17. When we see this amazing thing in verse 15, drink and roar as if drunk with wine. See, God's people are so excited, so joyous with a holy joy because of God's victory. And, the, and, the, and in verse 16, we see the flock, jewels of crown. God's people rest secure as sheep under his care. 
The king, the shepherd king is coming. The same king will return, not seated on a donkey as we see here. When we think about who this was achieved through, for you and I, for you and I who have put our hope in Jesus Christ, we have a hope of a final salvation. When all of this is gone, when we all no longer have to struggle of sin, but will be then be in the presence of God. God's plan is even bigger than that. It includes Jesus' reign over all creation in heaven, a new heaven and a new earth where future and implications <clears throat> for you and I, how you have put your hope in Jesus Christ, we have a hope of final salvation. When all of this is gone, when all of this sin, all of this brokenness is finally gone, we will no longer have to struggle with sin, but be in the very presence of our awesome God. But God's plan is even bigger than that. It includes Jesus' reign, Christ's reign over everything, over all creation. There will be no more sickness. There will be no death. And the coming king is humble and righteous, bringing salvation to his people and breaking the battle bowls of his enemies. He is not like the other kings who came before him. When we read this passage, we picture Jesus himself. Triumphant entry into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. And a week before Easter Sunday, the crowd saw the coming king and thought there was, there was a straightforward road to victory. Yet the night before he died, Jesus said this, this is my blood of my covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. He shed his blood. His shed blood would bring us peace. The righteous king, the shepherd king had to die in the place of the unrighteous followers. See, but something we need to remember is that that same king will return. But he will not be returning on a donkey, but riding a war horse, as Revelation 19 says. He will come to smash his enemies once and for all. We are called to wait with hope, confidence that our shepherd king will return victorious to bring about our full salvation. The true shepherd king comes to restore the land, to restore his people, and to restore our right leadership. He does this with humility, but with authority and power. In chapter 10, we see that the shepherd king will care for his people. And we see how he does that as he begins to be present, unlike the previous shepherds. In verses 1 to 2, God says, ask for rain. Remember back to chapter 8, verse 12. It's not the idols that give rain. It is the Lord of hosts. There is this constant temptation amongst the people of God to rely upon other things for all things that only God can do. And God says, I am the one that gives Rest in me. And all of this has happened because there's a lack of shepherds. Israel and Judah's leaders are rebuked by God for their godless leadership of his people. God's people don't just need nice people. They need people who are seeking to grow in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. God's people need godly men. 
This is why in the New Testament, it clearly lays out the qualifications for people, for men who are to lead God's church. And not only that, how we are all to strive for that. But we also see that God will raise up godly leadership in verses 3 to to 10. The cornerstone, the tent peg, as it says in verse 4, the battle bowl. God will raise up alternative leaders for his people. And this new leadership will strengthen his people and save them and, and bring them back into a right relationship. In his compassion, he will restore their covenant relationship and answer his people's prayer. It's an amazing thing, right? See, in verse 6, at the end of verse 6, it says, And for I am the Lord their God, and I will answer them. This is completely different than what we see in in chapter 7, in verse 13. It says, And I, as I called, and they would not hear, so they called, and I would not hear. There's a restoration. God becomes present with his people. The shepherd king will care for his people. Through this godly leadership, God will restore them. And in verse 12, it says, And I will make them strong in the Lord, and they will walk in his name. I love this passage. Did you notice something throughout this chapter as we were reading it? It says over and over again, it says, And I will. God says, I will. And we can trust all the promises that we see here. He says, I will strengthen, he says to the weak. He says, I will bring them back, he says to the lost. He says, I will answer, he says to those afflicted and oppressed. He says, I will whistle for them and gather them in, for I have redeemed them, he says. And those words is found good news for all who hear, for all who are called by the promise of God who say, the God who says, I will. You know, I will, God's power is greater than any oppression you may have. I will, he says. It doesn't matter how far you have been scattered. This is the voice that calls all those who hear, I will call you and save you, he says. And so he will an amazing verse but then there's this response that the people of god do into response to god's i will it says they will they shall walk in his name declares the lord see what happens is the results of god's i will as god restores his people as god's presence is with his people as the shepherd king is with his people the people begin to live like they have the presence of God with them. There is a difference in their lives. But something that really pops out to me later on, and I really had to think and study about chapter 11, because chapter 9 and chapter 10 are these wonderful pictures of what the shepherd king will do. And then I come to chapter 11, and I'm like, well, what's going on here? And in chapter 11, we see this. We see a reminder of what happens when you reject the shepherd king. The blessings of what we see the shepherd king bringing in verse 9, or chapter 9, as he restores the people, the land, and the king. And, And as we see in chapter 10, how God will be with his people and all the things that he will do as a shepherd king, all of those things will not happen if you reject him. It is a reminder to the people, look, the mess that you find yourself 
in this moment, at this time, is because you have rejected me. So don't do it again. So chapter 11 is a reminder of what happens when the people reject the shepherd king and they call to follow the true shepherd. See, in verses 4 to 17, we see that this rejection of the shepherd king leads to division and exile. And here we have Zechariah, who God tells him to get these two staffs, and he names them. And they're symbolic of what God will do to his people as they reflect upon the state that they're in. They have just returned from exile. They were in exile because they rejected the shepherd king. That they rejected God. And because of that, it led to division and exile. And then verses 15 to 17, we see that that the rejection of the shepherd king is the acceptance of a worthless shepherd. If you're going to reject the shepherd king that we see portrayed in verses 9 and 10, or chapter 9 and chapter 10, this is what you get instead. See, a rejection of the true shepherd king is a rejection to the life he offers. If you choose sin and what it offers, you cannot run from your sin's judgment. Zechariah reluctantly broke the two staffs that represented God's blessing. And for those who have rejected the shepherd king will find themselves without the benefits of God's grace. Jesus spoke of this terrible prospect in his parable of the talents. He's speaking of the people who first rejected God's prophets and finally rejected himself, crucifying him in in their unbelief. Jesus said in in Matthew chapter 21, verse 41, God will put those wretches to a miserable death. I cannot say this with any more urgency than what I'm about to say. If you're sitting there, if you're listening, if you're busy looking on Facebook as you're trying to listen to what the pastor's talking about, stop and listen for a second. Listen to what I am going to tell you. Do not be the one who rejects the shepherd king. Do not be found among the number. Do not enlist for for that eternal judgment of what we see Jerusalem went through with their exile, with their division. This horrible fall was but a small, incredibly small showing of what will happen at the rejection when God so eagerly offers you forgiveness and life and an eternal life through faith in Jesus Christ, you do not think that you can safely wait. There's no waiting. There's nothing safe about rejecting God's son. There's nothing safe about rejecting the shepherd king. No one knows when they will breathe their last breath. 2 Corinthians 6 verse 2 says, For he says, in a favorable time, I listened to you, and in a day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, he says, now is a favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Now is the time to listen to the shepherd king. 
Now, as one man said it so well, he said this, like the prophet Zechariah, Jesus was rejected and put to death by the enemies of God. For them and for all who take their place today, the cross is an emblem of their condemnation. But there are others, a multitude beyond counting, who look upon the good shepherd with gladness, who hear his voice with delight, who go forth with him into the flock he gathers for eternal life. For these, the cross is an emblem of salvation, because there the good shepherd laid down his life for forgiveness of their sins. As Zechariah chapter 9, verse 16 says, On that day the Lord their God will save them as a flock of his people. This is the message of the cross of Jesus. A warning of, of the most importance. A savior worthy of our devotion and our trust. A salvation that is freely offered to all who will come to him in faith. And a call for you to hear and come today so that you may be saved. And so what, you may be asking. See, Jesus is the shepherd king that by his death and resurrection, God restores his people and gives them victory. But rejection of the shepherd king is a rejection of that restoration and that victory. What an amazing thing. If you have never come to God through faith in Jesus, in his gift of forgiveness and righteousness from God, then you have no peace with God. You don't get to experience what chapter 9 and verse, uh, chapter 9 and, and chapter 10 show. Your sin stands between you and God. They testify still of your separation between you and God and his wrath that is on you. You must do what the prophet commands you to do. That you would be saved. If you would have peace, look to him. Behold this king who comes righteous and bearing salvation and coming forth in gentleness to be to you a savior. Look to him, receive him in faith and you will be saved. But hear that warning. Don't Reject the shepherd king. Don't today. Because Jesus is the shepherd king that by his death and his resurrection, God restores his people and gives them victory. Rejection, rejection of the shepherd king is a rejection of the restoration and victory that he offers. Don't reject him today. If you've accepted the shepherd king as Lord and Savior in your life, Reflect upon that and let that bring joy into your life and let that also spur us on to, to be faithful disciples who are making disciples of Jesus Christ so that they too may experience what we see in chapters 9 and chapters 10. If you haven't accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and you want to have that peace between you and God, talk to us today. We would love to tell you more about who our Savior Jesus Christ is. Let's pray. Father God, we just thank you for this chance we have to just worship you through the opening of your word. And Lord, I just pray that, I hope and pray that you've been glorified. 
And as we continue to live in this world of pandemic, of uncertainty, may we be reminded of who you are in your word, Lord, that you are the shepherd king who cares for us, who restores us, who, who provides for us. Father, we just pray that you, uh, as we spend time in your word, that you... Father God, we just thank you for the opportunity we have to worship you. As we open up your word, Lord, I thank you for the reminder that we have of who you are and what you have done for us. We thank you for that reminder of, of how you are our shepherd king and that you will return. We thank you that you are the shepherd king who cares for the flock. And we thank you for this warning of what it means to reject you as our shepherd king. So Lord, I pray that we would live in light of what you have done for us, that we would be faithful disciples who make disciples of Jesus Christ, even in this pandemic, in this world of uncertainty, that we may declare that, yes, we do not know what's going on, but we do know the one who does. Let me tell you about Jesus Christ. Let me tell you about how, we, how I have sinned against you and how you provided the sacrifice so that I may be made right before you. Father, I just pray that you are glorified and honored in your name.